Hello, folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And this week in the news, we saw a J.P. Morgan freighter get seized by the federales with 20 tons of blow. That's valued at $1.3 billion with a B. Big B. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the notorious child prostitutionist, or is that pimp? Uh, picked up more charges after receiving just a few short months in jail for pimping out 14-year-old girls to the world's elite from his private island. I mean, who the hell is Brock Turner anyway? Uh, and Google was outed for sharing potentially hundreds of thousands of private audio recordings from their OK Google service with private contractors. Those clever bastards. They, of course, didn't always contain those magic OK Google keywords that turn on the listening. Uh, and in the thousand that were leaked to the press, reporters heard the two great F words, f***ing and fighting, uh, as well as personally identifiable details that actually led reporters right to the doorstep of some of the folks who were recorded. And as much fun as it would be to talk about kitty pimps and cocaine barons and far-reaching like surveillance, we're actually not going to talk about any of those things today. But... If you follow Sense and Theory on Facebook, uh, you would have learned about all those things and more. And if you subscribe to our Patreon, you will gain access to bonus episodes where we talk about at least one of those stories. So uh, get on there. Which one's it going to be? Join in the conversation. We need you. The world needs you. Uh, You're important and your opinion matters. So what are we going to talk about today? Why? Democratic candidates, of course. Are you excited? Yeah, hell yeah. I know. I, I mean, seriously, like, are, are, is anybody excited? Is I honestly don't excited? think anyone's that excited. Man, so <laughs> here we are. We've come to the end of what's felt like the 12 year Trump presidential term. Mm. And we're gearing up uh, for the new election in 2020. And the Democratic candidates are in full swing on the campaign trail. We've had our first debate. And so what we've decided to do is part of like an ongoing series that's going to be interspersed with all our other episodes. Uh, We are going to try to help you guys get a sense of who the candidates are, kind of, you know, help guide you along in the process. That's right. So I I wonder how many of our listeners actually listen to the debates. Um, The timing was a little weird. It was a little a little later at night than I'd like it to be. Um, I missed them. I had to go back and watch them on YouTube. They were pretty darn long. And in a field of 20 candidates. Yeah. Uh, that were approved for the debates. Uh, I don't know how they could be anything but long. <laughs> yeah, no, they were, and somehow it felt short. <laughs> yeah, no, they were they were absolutely. The debates were awful. I mean, it, the when you have that many candidates, I don't know what you do, but I can tell you this: what CNN did was an absolute train wreck. Mm. Um, and and I don't even know how you blame the candidates really because. Debates are all about like having that that signature moment, right? Like you know, you got to think back to Romney with his binders full of women, and uh, <laughs> I know I've worked with John F. Kennedy, and you're no John F. Kennedy. That's what it's about. It's about having that moment, right? So when you have these time constraints that you're going to put on people to give, you know, what we would hope would be kind of detailed answers. Yeah, about we're their- talking sixty seconds. The official rule: <laughs> yeah. sixty seconds for an answer, and then thirty seconds for a follow up. Yeah, so we're going to give them sixty seconds to tell us how they're going to guide the country. Uh, of course, people are going to go over, yeah. and then people who respond are going to go over it. But how do you ask a candidate who just got hit with a zinger 
by somebody who's a minute and a half over their allotted time to just take it, to just sit there and eat it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, of course, people are talking over each other and interrupting each other. And, uh, yeah, man, it was just, it was kind of a pain to watch. Well, like you said, 20 candidates and 10 per night, you know, 10 on the first night, the other 10 on the second night. It looked like a Royal Rumble. That's, yeah. that's what we're It's a slobber knocker in there. It's <laughs> WrestleMania yeah. in that piece for real. And, and, and like you said, I don't think there's any way around it. Um, and that's kind of a shame because honestly, in these debates, I'm looking for a candidate to distinguish themselves from a pack of very similar candidates. I mean, right. All of these guys want some form of universal health care, right. you know, $15 minimum wage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want assault weapons bans of some sort. They want right. universal background checks. And and those things are important to me, right? Like universal background checks, I'm all on board with as long as you keep the registrations out of the hands of the government for more than the time they need to check the background. As long as we're not passing serial numbers on the background checks, uh, the number of guns you buy, I'm all for it. But in this debate format, we're never approaching anywhere near that granularity, right? Yeah, right. So, so I'm like, I, I want to hear them talk more, but I couldn't stomach the two hours as it was. <laughs> yeah. You know, how am I going to listen to 10 people talk even more? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, so basically, what are you asking for, like, a longer debate? I mean, is that, you know, <laughs> I mean, my God, that sounds like the worst proposition ever, man. This is from a guy who binged uh, the entire season of Stranger Things in, in two days. Oh, yeah, and yeah, in like a night and a half. Six yeah, but, hours of debates but, is, like, off the table? Like, yeah, I mean, Stranger <laughs> Things was, was entertaining. This was a cacophony of bullshit is what it basically amounted to. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There were, there were people who made some points and I don't want to completely bag on the debates because I was actually impressed, uh, by the job that the moderators did at Mm. the debate. Um, which is interesting because of how badly they did, uh, four years ago. But I thought that the questions were a lot better. I thought the follow-up questions were handled a lot better. I thought that they tried to nail people down to some extent, but then what happens, like I said, that feeds the beast. Like when you try to when when the moderator asks a question to nail you down and and just totally expose you and then you have 20 seconds to respond you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, so like yeah. of course people are still going over and everything and that's you know i i just i would i would segment it off i i guess if we're going to have some ludicrous number like 22 candidates 23 however many it is I would segment it off even further. I would make it groups of five or something, man. I I wouldn't go ten wide. Yeah, and, and and truthfully, like I almost feel like they should split it out uh, on a person to person level and release them all on YouTube or something. Yeah. Let people watch them at their leisure. Don't schedule it. Don't put it on national network. Like people are not consuming news in that way anymore. And right. I think if the Democratic Party uh, wants people to understand their candidates and find one that works for them, like we need to do something that works. Like for example, newcomers to the stage, severe disadvantage in this situation. There were no opening statements first off. Right. So no one got to stand up there and introduce themselves. So that puts your, your Biden, your Warren, uh, your Harris, with name anyone with name recognition off the top has an advantage coming in. So, so you ask Marianne Williamson something and she feels like in that minute, she has to explain herself her entire position. Right, yeah, yeah. right. As part of the answer, because that's all she's getting. Right. Not to mention, everyone can't answer every question. They yeah. have picked certain questions for certain people. Yeah. Um, and that it just kind of bugs me. You know, yeah. of course, the alternative is, is what? 10, 10, 12 hours of debate. And no <laughs> yeah. one, yeah. if you know, I had a hard time sitting through four. Yeah. So well, no one is going to do that. 
Yeah, I don't think, but I think like, you know, like you say, actually pairing them off, putting them on YouTube or, you know, like I said, uh, randomizing it and doing four or five at a time, uh, in that doing it like that, I could watch 10 or 12 hours of debates. I have no problem with that. Uh, all these people yelling at each other. It was, it was a chore. It was a chore. And then, and then you've got crazy stuff like Yang saying, well, I kept trying to join the conversation, but my microphone was off. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, what's with that? I don't dude? know. I, you know, I never saw like anything else about that. I don't know if you I heard the issue or... I heard people coming out of the woodwork going, oh, well, that's how that's how sound systems work to, you know, feedback. And yeah, I, I work with sound. No, you can have 10 mics on a stage going. Right. He's a sound engineer. That's what he does. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were not turning mics they someone someone crapped hard on Yang, or a mistake was made somewhere, right? Uh, an egregious mistake. I don't know. Well, speaking of okay, so we've got all these candidates that we've got to. It's like herding cats, man. That we've got to <laughs> somehow try to talk about today on the show. Um, you and I going into this, we've kind of made a decision, right? Um, is we are going to spend just a, just a brief amount of time talking about uh, some of the people who are out there and who are polling very low. But today we're going to talk mostly about the five front runners. That's right. As and, as it stands today. And it's kind of a shame because because I I feel like I feel like Yang could still be in it. You know, I mean Trump was polling at what two percent or something right. at this time. Uh so so I feel like ignoring Gabbard and ignoring Yang could be a misstep, but yeah. we got plenty of time. If they start polling better you know, come this next round of debates. If they're in there, then then we can talk yeah, more if about it. If they can pull themselves up, uh, we are more than happy to talk about them. And we also haven't fully decided that we're not. Uh, in the meantime, you know, maybe maybe we do a bonus episode about Gabbard or something and throw it on the Patreon. We'll we'll kind of play with it and see what we think will best meet your guys' needs. Right. But, and and speaking of Gabbard, I I kind of like Gabbard. I, yeah. I liked her at the debates. I liked that she got Biden real good. That was awesome. Uh, she needs 130,000 individual donors and 2%, uh, national polling to hit the next round of debates. And I think she's at like 110,000 donors. So if you guys out there, you want to donate three bucks, I think that's the minimum donation. Go on her website, man. Donate three bucks. Let's see her at the debates. You know, I'd like to talk more about her. It's at least nice to have somebody who's, who's absolutely and unequivocally saying we need to get out of these foreign wars and stop meddling up there on the stage just to make the other candidates to commit to a similar position. Isn't that great, man? I I loved it. She's just, she just flat out says like, no, we don't need war in Iran. Regime change has been terrible for America. It's been terrible for the countries we've tried to uh, implement it in. We've been in a protracted war in the Middle East for 20 years. That's doing nothing but harming us. Get out. Yeah. Just get out. uh, What do you, what do you think about Yang? We do, you know, we mentioned Yang. What do you, what do you think about it? So, so I like Yang. I think, I think he's he's got good ideas. Mm-hmm. The thing that bothers me about Yang, every time I see him speak, he he mentions executive orders, right? He had this idea where he says he says UBI. I mean, not, I'm sorry, uh, uh, GDP mm-hmm. is is a flawed measurement for a country's progress, right? And that right. and that gross domestic product product does not represent things like like a happiness index, like. Uh, how healthy we are, you know, how much crime there. So, so he says, well, I've got this new, this new measurement that's going to replace UBI and we'll just do what, what Congress or what, what, what the president did when, when Congress ignored the Iraq war, we're just going to go for it. I'm just going to executive order it. Yeah. And, and it's, 
it, it bugs me. It's like, I, d- I don't want an emperor. Right. You know, and I, and I recognize that, that Congress is, is really screwing the pooch and has been for many years and we're not getting things done and there's gridlock. Um, but I think the answer is to relieve that gridlock, not to overstep that gridlock. Well, it's, it's interesting that I think that that is, that is like one of the elements of the idea, at least of Trump, uh, that I never really cared for. Right. So it's interesting to me that the, when the, when the democratic establishment and even the progressive wing, uh, takes a swipe at Yang, the idea is that he's another, you know, like tech bro who's going to come in and just, you know, thinks he's going to call shots and everything's going to be all right. He'll put in the UBI and everybody will just have the fishes in the loaves and he'll walk off into the sunset. And he doesn't actually, you know, have like the, the, the ideas and the policy chops for like down the road. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think he is like thinking things through. Oh, he is. I, but, I love following his Facebook because every other day he's got some policy proposal. Right. And generally they make sense. I mean, overwhelmingly. Right. And I like I like a lot of, you know, his attitude and outlook about things that I've seen. However, the the part of that criticism that I think that does hold true is, you know, a lot of people wanted Trump because he's a businessman and he'll just make the tough decision. Mm. And that kind of personality, that that style lends itself to the executive order, like you said. Sure. And then, uh, you know, big surprise, Yang saying, oh, we'll just use an executive order and stuff. So I, I didn't really care for that with Trump, and I wouldn't care from that, you know, from a Democratic candidate either. And iron- so, ironically, that's a theme that we'll see repeated um, oh, yeah. with all of these Democratic candidates, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what about, uh, I, feel like, I feel like we have to mention them. Uh, let's talk about the, the boring twins to me. Uh, Booker and Beto. Um, <laughs> Booker, uh, I Booker's out there. He's doing his thing, but like he's he's not he's not polling particularly well. I like his weed uh, legislation that he yeah. introduced, to, yeah, and, yeah. and that's about it. I mean, I, I don't like him, uh, you know, from the Spartacus thing back during Kavanaugh. <laughs> and just when I when I when I look at Booker, man, I just I just don't care. And then when I look at Beto. Just stop. Just get out. Just yeah. get out of the race. Goodbye, like, Beto. Like, yeah, I man, feel the same nobody way. Nobody needs Beto. Yeah, there's there's nothing that really separates him from the pack. Um, he doesn't strike me as a strong leader. Yeah. He's just kind of weak. Um, and and he sounds like he sounds like a bro, you know. Just like <laughs> I mean, he does. It's yeah. and maybe I'm not being fair, you know. I'm being what prejudiced against potheads but he sounds like a pothead i I don't need him i mean the dude couldn't beat ted cruz i mean how's he gonna beat donald that's 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 i mean the obvious elephant in the room uh i did like and people uh, people will laugh at this i liked marianne williamson i knew you would (laughs) i knew you would (laughs) no she she was asked about health care or something and and she said Think about why Americans have chronic diseases. She talked about chemical and environmental factors, food and drug policies, and and I love it. You know, I mm. I want us to attack the disease and not the symptoms. Yeah. Um. And she was she was right on at no, least for was, that answer. I'll tell you what, for that answer, she was right on the money. Since uh, since the debate, there's been a little bit more info come out about Miss Williamson. Some of her past tweets. Uh, I don't know if she should be president. I mean, she might, you know. Why not? She could. I'll tell you what. She could be. She could be 
is it called the president of our local hippie commune? Um, <laughs> is it that bad? Yeah. Is she out there hawking doTERRA essential uh, we oils? Are, we are manipulating <laughs> chakras and doing all kinds of stuff. So, hey, no uh, problem. Hey, I told my Vegas story on this show. You know, yeah. I have no problem with that kind of stuff. No, it's fine, man. Commander in chief dropping <laughs> mushrooms and shit. I'm all for it. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, I don't, I don't know about Miss Williams. Uh, however, uh, that brings us to uh the the big five the five front runners right so i think you got to start uh with joe biden yeah because you know joe biden former vice president you know long standing senator from delaware he's like 76 years old he's been in it since been in it <laughs> and pretty much the day that joe announced uh you know for this race he immediately came in as the front runner Right, uh, he is, and I think he's, he's currently polling twenty-two to thirty percent or something. Yeah, yeah, he was he was polling firmly in the thirty percent range before the debate. After the debate, he's he's taken a hit and he's dropped. Early down on, into he the was polling like forty-five percent. Right, I mean, uh, he's he's down from from initial polls. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if he ever really hit forty-five. Man, polls are, and that's something actually we should go ahead and state. So, with all the poll numbers today, what they do is I'm, I'm giving you an average of polls that are being taken and retaken like every week, mm. right? So when I say he's polling around 22 to 30%, that's like an aggregate of like nine different polls. Right. And one poll might have him at 38% and one might have him at 15 I saw a poll the other day that has Elizabeth Warren as the front runner and there isn't a single other poll so far that has had Warren as the front runner. So things are changing and they're fluid and, and all that good stuff. Sure. And as we know, it's but, polls don't match the reality on the ground right. most of the well, time. Anybody remembers 2016 knows right. that's the case, right? But uh but yeah, but I mean there is a certain amount of weight that comes with being that front runner. And I think one of the main reasons that Joe, you know, jumped into that spot is because he's a former vice president. He's, you know, obviously he is like the establishment candidate in this race so far, at least amongst the the front runners. Sure. He's, he's a, a center Democrat. You could almost make a case for him being a blue dog Democrat. And I think a lot of the, you know, progressive side would. And that kind of shows how much politics as a whole have skewed a little bit, because while he was sort of that force when he was tapped to be Obama's vice president, the idea that Joe Biden was a blue dog was kind of silly back then. Now it's complete. I mean, that's kind of who he is, you know? Um, but you know, when you, when you start going through and looking at Joe's policies, it's what little there is because Joe hasn't really come out and said, I'm for this and I'm for that. He's got a, a $1.7 trillion uh, environmental plan that he's kind of hanging his hat on right now. Um, he's got an education he supports the plan. green new deal, right? Uh well no not I mean he pays lip service to the Green New Deal but his is a little bit different. The Green New Deal calls for uh you know getting us to zero net carbon emissions by 2030. Joe's plan uh calls it for by 2050. So <laughs> okay. you know he's he's taking a much slower approach. Um and you know he's got this education plan that he's he's hanging his hat on. But when I go through Joe's website, it's it's all a lot of Joe's vision about like you know i i'd like to see this and i'd like to see that and you're like well okay how are we gonna get yeah, there how, how, how do know? we get there how do we get there and and to me joe has been in this game for a really long time mm -hmm. he's had plenty of time to come up with concrete policy positions right uh pieces of legislation to propose and that's notably absent yeah from well, from it, joe biden's campaign materials and it's actually i mean that's part of like what's what's planned to his strength right so i can sit here and tell you that joe biden is pro 
a $15 minimum wage because he came out for it uh, something like six, seven years ago when he was vice president. Right. It's not that Joe has made a firm commitment to a $15 minimum wage, how we're going to get there, how all that stuff works yeah, you and put everything. Any, put any bills up. It's just you, you he said it any... six years ago, and that's kind of the story with Joe. Um, his education plan, which was his first major rollout, um, you know, of a policy at all, uh, calls for something like 16 to $48 billion increase in title one funding. Yeah. Um, and, and that and title one is for like low, low income schools in low income neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Eliminating the, the inequality in funding between schools and, you know, various low income neighborhoods and whatnot. And, um, and, but that's, I mean, that's about it. That's like the meat and potatoes of the plan. Well, he said I mean, he wants to pay teachers more, right? Expand pre-K access for three and four-year-olds, right. um, which is pretty typical among uh, among the, the Democratic field, mm-hmm. uh, and invest more in mental health services and public schools. And I think when, when Joe's asked about, you know, where the money comes from, uh, the only answer I've heard is, is loopholes, 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 yeah, Close he, the loopholes. He says that he can fund anything that, you know, he's, there's going to be like a big, uh, over a trillion dollar closing of tax loopholes that nobody has been able to close. in I don't know how many years, but Joe's got it. Right. And so, you know what I mean? Well, like, and that's the same thing. That's the same thing Obama said. And it's the same yeah, thing Trump well, says, and it's the same thing everyone says. But that's, that's one of the most stark differences. And as we get into the other candidates, you'll see now to varying degrees, they have some details, and Joe by far is the worst among the front runners for having details. So I'm being kind of rough on him because it's all well and fine to say I'm going to close all these loopholes, but which loopholes? When are you going to close them? How are you going to get them closed? Right. You know, it, right now, Joe. One of the things that struck me in the debate was Joe was by far one of the worst offenders for starting that. That you know. When I was a young man, my dad told me, and that's what his whole campaign is to me right now. It's a bunch of those stories. Like, look at me. I'm Joe Biden. Bunch of platitudes. I'm just like you, and I've got a vision for America, but there's nothing there. Like, how are you going to get it done? man? Right. And I think think if we're talking about Democratic candidates, we got to talk about health care. Yeah. And Joe Biden on health care kind of stands out of the field, right? Because yeah, most no, of does. these guys want some form of universal health care. Uh-huh. Joe Biden, on the other hand, um, does support an optional Medicare buy-in, um, but largely he believes that the Affordable Care Act um, is it should be the basis yeah. uh, for our health care system fix the moving forward. Yep. And I, I got to call BS on him, man, because <laughs> America, we still spend 18% of our GDP on health care. We still that's that's double, uh, almost double of of any, you know, first world nation in the world. Uh, We still have lower outcomes, lower health outcomes than almost anywhere in the world We're the third leading cause of death in America is is medical error. Right. Like so. And and this is this is years after Obamacare. And granted, there's people out there who are going to go, well, the only reason Obamacare failed is because the Republicans shit all over it and ruined it. And if those damn Republicans just get out of the way, Obamacare would be fine. And to you, I say, sit down, shut up. It's not true. You've mandated that every man, woman, and child in America buy into a flawed insurance system that doesn't fix anything. It just forces us all and I to would, get into the flawed system. And I would say this, like, so yes, the Republicans did attack it in some ways. You know, they repealed sure. the mandate. They, they've cut its kneecaps in various ways. But why did they do that? 
because you forced it down their throats. Right. And I know that that's kind of, you know, that's looking like if a Democrat wins in 2020, that whole process is going to start over again. And, and is Medicaid for all going to get rammed down their throats? And will there be a backlash? And that's a conversation we got to have. But you can't look at that like in a bubble and say that it's unrelated. You right. Know what and, I mean, and, they and, weren't with it. And from the rest of the can, not from the rest of it, but some of them are are very moderated in their approaches. Some of them want to take time and do it slowly. Yeah. Uh, so we can approach, you know, problems as they come up. Right. Right. That's that's the way to do it. And, and but it's it, not. Let's it's, be honest. If we're doing universal health care, it's forced down your throat. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. it it has to be at some point. So yeah. that's not necessarily to, an argument. No, against, to some segment to of the me. population, but you can't. Dude, it's it's like we talk about on this show all the time. You can't just tell the entire if the entirety of the opposition is telling you that they don't accept it, then big surprise they started cutting your shit right. out from under you. Right. You know what I mean? I mean that th- there is a difference there. Here's the thing about the ACA with Biden is it's it's one of the things that's wrong with politics. How can Joe even even though you want to say, well, you know, times change and things need updating and stuff, this close to just having been in office, how can Joe come out and say the ACA is a total disaster? <laughs> uh, Obama's legacy piece of legislation is bullshit. It's not working. Right. We need to fix it. Yeah, fair and enough. And he's kind of hamstrung on that one. You That's know right. What I mean? he's, so he's got to support it. Otherwise, <laughs> to, otherwise, he's accepting this huge defeat and failure right off the bat. Yeah, right? and, <laughs> and since we don't have like a full plan from him yet, it could be that he is going to radically alter the ACA and still try to call it the ACA. You right. know what I'm saying? I don't know. Because he hasn't given me a damn plan. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he won't. Let's be honest. He's <laughs> yeah, not he's honestly. not going to. Yeah, he's not no, going there's, to. There's other ways, you know, Biden is is that same guy that he as far as we know, Biden is still in this really weird position on marijuana. Well, and where, it's funny because I think I think that his position on weed is like is one of the places that this centerism meme comes from. You know, centerism for the sake of centerism. Yeah, like yeah. on one hand he says, Well, let's uh let's decriminalize uh, but not fully legalized, but we want to expunge the records. And, uh, but at the same time, marijuana is a gateway drug. Like he's just all over the place. It's almost like he's sitting on the center of the fence to appease the folks who are anti-weed. And he's on the center of the fence just far enough to appease the folks that are pro-weed just yeah. for the sake of, of pandering to both sides. I don't get it, Joe, yeah. just pick a side. And well, I think it, that, that gets me because it ends up, it reflects back on us, right? Like, like when we talk about centrism, invariably people want to characterize it as what Joe Biden is pushing. I, I don't think anybody wants Joe Biden. I mean, I, I know he's polling well and everything, but I think that has a lot to do with first off name recognition. Second off, he says that he, you know, wants to take this approach to Medicare for all. So anybody or, you know, he wants to take the approach of resurrecting the ACA. So anybody who's not on board with Medicare for all feels safe with Joe. Mm. And these people feel safe with Joe on marijuana. And these he's got something. Safe. It's not the extreme thing that I don't like, but yeah. he's got something. But I ultimately I don't think Joe makes it because I don't think that he can he can rectify the two. I, I think that the the progressive wing of the democratic party and the woke wing of the democratic party is never going to accept it. Ultimately people like you and me are never going to accept Joe Biden because when we talk about centrism, our centrism still includes the ability to have radical changes that are very much so necessary. And his shit is just more of the same shit that's failed us for the last 40 years. Right. It's, it's ironic that, that we even call whatever our brand of politics is centrism yeah. Uh, because it is radical yeah. and centerism yeah. traditionally is not radical. It's meeting in the middle at this point where nothing changes, but yeah. you know, me, my centerism 
you know, I want to see massive changes in the justice system yeah. to atone for uh, for for racism. You know, yeah. in the structure. Like, I don't think you're going to get a Joe Biden centrist that's going to come quite that far. In fact, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> might what... run the total opposite direction in some. Cases. Well, see, that's the way they view it. They say that the only way that you're going to reach a centrist position, a position that you know everybody that can, can agree on is if we stay with the status quo. They want to marry those two things together. And and I don't think that's necessary. I think enough people, if you look, going back to Occupy, look at the Tea Party, look at, you know, the, the woke left now, enough people realize that things are fucked up and need to change, that you can get broad consensus on radical action. And right. I think that Joe's candidacy in 2020 is the is hopefully the death of that old century is like the beginning of the end for that well that i tell you what thing. joe is not going to count on the woke vote for one he is old and white so that that begins to disqualify you already for two as we talked about on the show before the inappropriate touching the videos of him fondling little girls and then his response to those allegations which absolutely just it boggles the mind i you know biden biden said that he understands that social norms are changing <laughs> and boundaries of protecting personal space have been reset. And I'm not clear. Is he saying like he has reset his boundaries of personal space or that society as a whole have reset boundaries of personal space? Like, eh, I don't, I don't he's think saying, so, he's, Joe. Like, he's a stranger in a strange land, man. All of a sudden in the world, it's not okay to fill up young girls and it's not he, okay he's to act accordingly. walk behind women in the office and lift up their hair and smell their necks. Like <laughs> as if it ever was. And yeah. maybe I'm just too, too young to re remember <laughs> the good old days. But yeah. let me tell you, Biden is not getting the woke vote. No, here. he's got all kinds of problems. He, he, he supports the Hyde amendment, which uh, virtually every other candidate uh, opposes the Hyde Amendment, and that's the the law that requires there could be no federal funding of abortion. That's an um, interesting one to go right. to go he, right on. Right, he was he was right in the middle of the Justice Clarence Thomas confirmation hearing, so he's had Anita Hill hanging around his neck for virtually thirty years. Right, the crime bill yeah, that he was crime you know, integral in orchestrating. Look at his work uh, on the Patriot Act. I don't yeah. think does him any favors. Look at, at all. how uh, uh, Kamala Harris got him with the busing uh, in the debate. <laughs> you know, which that was a and and a lot of people. You know that <laughs> so that's good. why his poll numbers dropped, according to a lot of people. You know, and just and just kind of the he he looked like a lost Uncle Joe up there. Could you, you know? believe that in a in a Democratic debate where there's ten people on stage fighting for time? Going over every single time, Kamala got him so hard that he was like, "You know what? You know what? My my my, my time's over. My my time is over." He deferred the mic. Yeah, I just wanted to get <laughs> out of there. Own, yeah, get me out. So, and and that's not presidential to me. Like, I, truth be told, I want my president to be able to stomach whatever you throw. I don't want to see a flustered president. You yeah. know what I'm saying? If if Kamala can go on there and fluster him. With accusations of racism, like, dude, you're done. You're not yeah. presidential. Like, either either you're a racist and you're afraid, and that's why you're flustered because you've been outed, yeah. or you just don't know how to handle uh, uh, accusations that aren't true. Yeah, either yeah. one of those things <laughs> disqualifies you to me. So yeah, be gone. Yeah. Be yeah. gone. So with Biden gone, we will go from the oldest candidate uh, in the race to the, what I think is the youngest Uh Pete Buttigieg, the mayor from South Bend, Indiana, who's kind glad of burst. We've all learned how to say his name. Uh, yes, by this point. I actually you taught me how to say his Boot name. And I appreciate Boot that. Edge, yeah, yeah. There we go. 
Not uh, butt gig. <laughs> uh, Pete is polling somewhere in the neighborhood of around 4 to 6%, which doesn't sound like a lot. But that firmly places him as the the you know the fifth person the you know of the top five right you know? um, and again polling numbers this early yeah yeah who knows with polling numbers this early and and again like and he but it's enough to distinguish himself from you know the Yangs and the Bookers and everybody else who's down there in the vicinity of one to two percent you know he's the only person who's not up in the teens who isn't you know right point eight yeah know? he's kind of crested a, a threshold there. <laughs> So uh Pete's he's kind of an interesting candidate. He he is presented uh as being one of the more moderate candidates, but in no way, shape, or form as moderate as Joe Biden. And and I think that bears out when you start to look through his policies. Um, you can hit him with some critiques for some of his initiatives and stuff on his website being a little vague and stuff, but again, Nowhere near like Biden. He's got plenty of substance. Oh, yeah. There needs to be more, but he's got plenty there. Um, one of the first major places where he kind of distinguishes himself is that there is a push for, you know, uh, forgiving uh, college tuition debt and making, you know, universities free and everything. Can, can we stop and, and talk about that for a quick second? Yeah, sure. Because to me, like, I get the idea that, that colleges... Um, and even further, lenders have been predatory mm -hmm. um, in in giving out these loans, and it's a little bit like indentured servitude to me. Like colleges across the nation have made promises um, for for you know hiring rates after graduation that were just ludicrously untrue. Mm -hmm. um, they've they've given you know huge huge loans, sometimes a hundred thousand dollars. To, to 17 year old kids. Right. Um, you know, without really, I mean, I, of course they disclose it and kids should know to, to read their contracts, but I feel like it's, it's predatory. So I understand the reason for this push to, to, you know, dissolve student loans in some case, in some cases full out, you know, dissolving student loan debt, but there's something really wrong with that to me. Um, I feel like if you take responsibility for a loan, you should have to pay it back. Not to mention, what about all the people you know who 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 have paid off their student loans already? Right. You know, you've paid your two hundred thousand dollars to go through Harvard, and now someone's getting their their two hundred thousand dollar bill nixed. Like, yeah. there's just something really weird. And and I I get that that argument um, can fly in the face of progress. Right. There's always going to be people who the last who miss out. Right. Screwed, yeah. Right. That yeah. always happens. But. Some of the Democratic candidates are very measured in their approach to the student loan problem and, mm -hmm. and are much more moderate. And I think I think Pete is one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, and then some of them are just wacky, like, let's just drop it all. Let's just yeah. pay it all. And, and I love the people who compare this uh, to the bailout. Right. Right. Like, oh, we bailed out the banks. Why can't we bail out college kids? Well, every penny of that bailout money has been paid back. Yeah. yeah. That bailout was not a handout. It was a it was a loan, and I don't think it should have happened. I think those banks should have failed. But to make that comparison between the two as an argument is just disingenuous. Yeah. It's it. Well, I for me coming at it from my perspective, you know, AOC a while back she she tweeted out something about uh, when she was in college, she was mentoring a I think it was a sixteen or seventeen year old girl who was uh, looking at taking on some like a quarter of a million dollar loan so that she could go to Harvard, which was her dream. And she was talking about 
how awful it was that she was going to be saddled with this quarter million dollar loan to chase her dreams and everything. And, and I, to me, my, my immediate response to that is from my standpoint, it's, it's actually pretty wonderful that the girl can get a $250,000 loan in this country to chase her dream as a 16 or 17 year old girl. There's somebody willing to loan you $250,000 to go chase your dreams. Quarter mil. The question is, why does it cost $250,000 to graduate to to from Harvard? Right. So, so, you know, you had said something about the predatory loans and I'm not saying that there aren't people out there that have, you know, awful interest rates on stuff. Oh, and, and there uh, are, there are colleges that have been, that have sure, been sued into sure. the stone age for but, it. But I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here is the forgiveness of federal school loans and, and, you know, things that were underwritten by the government and stuff. And, and, and I would say like, that's not the problem. That's the symptom. That is that is what you've told me for years was us enabling people to get to school. The problem is the fact that those costs for school have shot through the roof. And why is that? And I'm not going to get into a free market, you know, <laughs> well, part here, of the reason is, is because there's the a reason. ton of quote unquote free money. Right. Available for tuition. And if people are spending it, that drives up the costs. If right. colleges can raise if I tuition, get 30,000, it's going to be 30,000. If they 000. know every student on a FAFSA gets a minimum of, of $9,000 a year, then they're going to slurp up that $9,000 a year because it's sitting in their pockets yeah. and they're not thinking about when they're going to pay it off. And I, and I think when we look at Mayor Pete, he is, like you say, much more in line with our way of thinking than, uh, you know, Bernie's will say. Uh, he actually had a, a wonderful quote. He said, uh, Americans who have a college degree earn more than Americans who don't. As a progressive, I have a hard time getting my head around the idea of a majority who earn less because they didn't go to college subsidizing a minority who earn more because they did. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I mean, I, I understand that we as a society have pushed people to go to college, but, you know, I, you don't have to. Right. And, 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 and it's our fault for having made that push, but you chose to go to college. You chose to take on that responsibility. So if we absolve you of that, I mean, what are we saying? You right. know? And I like that he went on too and, and talked about how we ought to build a society where people can live and be prosperous without going to college. Right. You know, and right. that's a, that's a callback to the Mike Rowe, you know, the, the dirty yeah. jobs and stuff like we, we have this idea that the only path forward is is through this this massive education system where tuition costs have ballooned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and it's just not true. Mm -hmm. um, there are service jobs all over America that are that are hurting for workers. So it's nice to hear a Buttigieg, you know, come out and and acknowledge that and yeah. say it. And I and I really think his take there that that the poorer classes of America through our tax dollars will be subsidizing. Like wealthy families sending their kids off shows to Ivy how, League colleges shows like, how out of whack this this drive can get. To me, like from where I'm sitting, in the in the rush to be like, you know, uh, well, school is a right, and 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 healthcare is a right, and this is a right. We start doing wacky things like that, and it takes <laughs> Mayor Pete saying, "Wait a minute," right. you know what I mean? And it's funny because because Pete to me uh, was kind of a non-starter. Um, I didn't pay a lot of attention to him. There's something about his face I don't like, the bottom, <laughs> his bottom jaw or something, uh, bugs the crap out of me. But it wasn't until we started compiling our cheat sheets for this episode that I, I saw, you know, all of Pete's positions and stuff on a single piece of paper. And I'm like, hey, 
this guy's actually really cool because yeah. it doesn't stop at college, right? There's there's uh, well, there's a ton as, of stuff. As far as climate change, he uh, you know he wants to get back into the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, and he supports the Green New Deal, and he actually lists climate change as a national security threat uh, on his uh, website. He's supportive of government subsidized solar panels, among other things. I love it. I love um, it. I think healthcare it's stupid to to ignore solar for economic reasons. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, he's got uh, healthcare. He's got a different take uh, than the rest of the field. Um, he says uh, it's Medicare for all who want it, mm-hmm. and he wants to kind of slowly transition by creating a Medicare option that's in the public exchange that people can choose to participate in. And he's basically saying if insurance companies can compete with that option, then they will continue to thrive. If, if the government is able to lure people on to Medicare, then the insurance companies will die. And, and I love this because one of the reasons health care is so expensive in America is because private insurance companies really don't have any reason to compete on price for, for their constituents, right? Yeah. They, they don't have any reason to, they're all making money hand over fist. And if the doctors are increasing prices and they increase rates to cover the price increase and, and no one can go anywhere else, eh, everyone's happy. They're making money. The doctors are making money. What I like about Pete's kind of slow transition is that all these doctors who have taken on, you know, possibly millions of dollars and a million dollars in loans, $250,000, whatever they owe, they're running terrified in the face of all this this universal healthcare stuff because payments to doctors are going to go down like right. that's one of the main points to a universal healthcare system of course that passes on to the citizen to the consumer but the doctors are up there worried about it right this mm-hmm. gives time for those people to to transition and find ways uh to innovate and and to make money and pay back your loans uh and still kind of and still let us transition to something that's a little more saner. Um, right. I like the idea of slow change. Uh, it just makes sense. It lets us, you know, pump the brakes and and deal with things as they come up and whatnot. Yeah. As far as uh, abortion, uh, Mayor Pete said on Meet the Press that abortion is a question that is almost unknowable, a moral question that is not going to be settled by science. So the best way for it to be settled in practice is by the person who actually faces the choice. And I don't know if there is a better summation of my personal position on abortion than that quote right there. I mean, that's, you know, like that's ultimately what it lays down to is like, I can't tell you which one of you is ultimately morally right. Right. But what I can tell you is that at the end of the day, it's her body. You know what I mean? And how many candidates do we have that will make that concession? Right. I I don't feel like there's any Democrats in this field who would be brave enough to stand up and say, like, okay, maybe the rights argument has some moral yeah. has some moral fabric has to it. Yeah. Has merit, right. I, I don't think anyone's out there saying that. So to see Pete do that yeah. makes me happy. It's points for Pete. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. Uh, one of the most ambitious things I think that I saw on his website was uh, the Douglas plant. And it's interesting because Pete has a platform uh, that kind of goes, you know, goes down through all his policy proposals and and so on and so forth. But then he has like this addendum that's called the Douglas plan that if you look closely, it's in the platform, but he broke them out to the side so that you could see that it is a comprehensive plan unto itself. It's, it's really well done. Right. Um, it was easy to read, well-written. And I think he points out some major policy positions uh, yeah. pretty well. Yeah. It's a comprehensive reparations, uh, you know, African-American centric addendum. 
uh, to a great deal of his proposals. Uh, it calls for, among other things, reducing mass incarceration by 50%, reducing the racial wealth gap, ending racial health care bias, combating voter suppression, investing $25 billion in historically black colleges and universities, and, and included on and on and grants on. for for redlined communities, uh, black owned businesses, returning voting rights to felons, which we've talked about on this show many times. I think we both support that uh, tax credit for uh, for hiring the previously incarcerated, uh, flat out ending private prisons, uh, abolishing the death penalty, yeah. uh, killing mandatory minimums across the nation. Like, please, yeah, please. Happy to see that happen. Uh, and then there was this one part that really struck me. He said he wanted to eliminate incarceration for drug offenses, uh, legalize weed, and expunge past convictions, and that's uh, that's huge to me. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, it, that is not a soft a soft statement at all. Eliminate incarceration for drug offenses, and he didn't right. say weed. We're no, he talking coke, sure. meth, heroin, amphetamines. Yeah, we're not sending you to jail, and. And I got to say, man, we put more people in jail in America than anyone in the world. We have the highest percentage of incarceration, I believe, uh, in, in the developed nations. So, uh, again, I, I kind of see points for yeah. Pete. I, well, when I, look, when I look at the Douglas plan, like, there are things, you know, much that you mentioned, the mandatories, the, some of the criminal justice reform that I'm, I'm plenty well on board with. There are other things that... You know, again, coming from maybe the right perspective, I uh, well, not the right perspective, but a right perspective uh, that I, I have trouble with. For instance, uh, he wants to mandate something like 25 percent of federal contracts go to minority owned businesses. Mm. When you when you get into that, that that bothers me, you know, from my free market standpoint, you know, you're narrowing at some point the pool from which you can choose. And so are we giving it to the best person? That's that's a broader affirmative action question. I'm I'm going to bring these up today as we talk about Democratic candidates, but we're not going to go too deep into them, right? Because obviously that's that's about how you feel about affirmative action. You know? <laughs> right. One of the things that really bugs me about Mayor Pete, though, is he wants to abolish the Electoral College. Uh, we all know how I feel about that. But one of the things that bugs me is he includes it in the Douglas plan, mm-hmm. and he portrays the Electoral College as a racist, you know, thing and it's silly to me. And to me, that is, that is catering kind of to that, that woke crowd. And I understand that these candidates are going to have to do that because and they all do it's, and they all do. And it's, and it's a sizable portion of the base, but that to me is, is sort of the fear when we, okay. When we start getting into reparations, you know, you and me have had many conversations about this. There are things, common sense things that will help, uh, the African-American community, the various minority communities, that I'm completely for. It's when you try to cloak it up in something that reinforces the idea that white people have been out to get you all along, even going back to the electoral college was invented to suppress you. (laughs) You know, for instance, we had an interesting uh, conversation about the, uh, the fees, uh, you know, when he was talking about uh, reforming like the bail and the bond and stuff, and then just kind of tacked onto that paragraph was like all these fees, you know, hurt black women and stuff like that. And it's like, well, yeah, because, okay, because more black people are arrested and probably unfairly, you know, in a lot of cases unfairly. Right. So, yes, it does. But that's not a separate occurrence of, yes, I mean, it's showing the effects. It well, I, I think it goes back to, to attacking the disease versus the symptom, right? Right. If, 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 if we accept, and I do accept that, um, that minorities in America – 
suffer from long-term effects of of racism, right? I think I think there are places in the structure of America um, that that hurt black people, brown people every day, and and we ought to fix them. What what I don't think we should do is go out there and tinker with all the sy- symptoms right. while we are attempting to fix the cause of the problem, right. because because we're risking an imbalance later and maybe 50 years down the line, maybe a hundred years down the line. Um, the thing is, if we, if we fix the problem, then the symptoms go away. Mm-hmm. So, so tinkering with the symptoms and, you know, $25 billion to black colleges, I think you risk, you risk pissing a lot of people off, mm-hmm. um, who, who think that, you know, people are going too far, uh, yeah. on the reparations and who are going too far with affirmative action and and some of them may have valid concerns. Mm. I just I don't think it's necessary. I think we can fix. I think we can fix these problems uh, systemically. Well, like, you know, as a perfect example of what we were saying there a minute ago about centrism, like so, I think there is a position in between. Like so, the idea coming from the right is you want to eliminate all the barriers and hurdles to for everybody so that they can all succeed and be equal. Right. Right. That that, that is ostensibly the idea of the free market. You know, ideology. Um. I'm I'm any time that we're talking about something like that, if mass incarceration is holding you back, then I'm all for eliminating that hurdle, right? It's when you cross the 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 line over into revenge and and things that begin to feel like, well, well, we are owed this because you should be hurt because we were hurt, that people, you know, from from my side of the aisle start to start to pump brakes. But obviously, there's plenty of room for us to get together and do a lot of good, a lot of radical change that isn't the status quo. Right. Because we are for eliminating those hurdles. There's, I don't think anybody is necessarily like making the argument for mass incarceration. You know, they, they, everybody who's talking about it wants it to be equal. It's a question of is it or not. Right. You know? there, there's a small portion of people who obviously are yeah, for yeah, mass incarceration. Lock course. them all up. Or, you know, or <laughs> shag in your pants. Put them in jail. There's idiots out there. I but. have, uh, you know, as far as Mayor Pete, there's, uh, you know, he wants to he wants to pack the Supreme Court. I'm not not a big fan of that. They um, all do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, think there's, I mean. No, there's actually, he's he's kind of. Uh, he's unique in a sense. There's there's some that he's unique enough to it bears mentioning. Okay, um, I liked his uh, kind of liked his new call to service. The call plan. to service that was yeah. a little weird. He wants to expand funding to the Peace Corps and AmeriCorps to create more opportunities uh, for high school graduates to serve, and I, I think that's great. He was a Naval Reserve officer himself, mm-hmm. um, but he said this really weird thing <laughs> about expecting. Or creating a, a nation where service was universally expected. Did I get yeah, that right? No, he specifically says, um, right now we turn away hundreds of thousands of young people who volunteer to serve. Military service, Peace Corps service, and domestic service year opportunities through efforts like AmeriCorps should be expanded until service becomes a universal expectation for every American youth. That just sounds dark. <laughs> man, so there's this other thing that's going on with, with Pete for me, man. Like. There's weird things like that, right? And a lot of it, I think, is the growing pains of getting to know somebody who's, who's you know, virtually been unknown as far as national politics are concerned. But I see him trying to stake out a position somewhere between Biden and Bernie, right? He's trying to be that guy. But in some of his statements about, like, you know, how to deal with Republicans, how to deal with gerrymandering, packing the court, uh, the electoral college and stuff, he's he's very much promoting this this 
this narrative in a way that the Republicans are trying to screw us and hold control of the, the country, and we've got to screw them back. Mm. Now, I'm okay with we've got to fight back against that. We can't allow those things to happen if they're happening the way he's portraying them, you know, how we feel about voter suppression. So. Sure. But I don't like that. And when I see those little flashes, it, it, it gives me pause. And when I see that <laughs> the universal expectation of service well, I start to well, wonder. Well, as the but, Democratic Party is fighting back against nationalism, yeah. it just seems a little out of it place. It does seem a little out of place. <laughs> just, so I think I would like to see more from Pete uh, because I need to resolve some of those things and kind of get a better feel for who he is. So so know? where is Pete on on big money? I mean, I know big money is, is going to be huge, uh, you yeah. know, moving into the actual election. Well, he, he kind of got, got shamed into the right position, I guess. When he initially came out, he was taking money from lobbyists. There was a outcry like, oh, here we go. Another, you know, moderate centrist Democrat is going to take money from corporations. And so he has since abandoned the practice. Good. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's good. Uh, His first inclination was to. Well, you know, I I, I don't think you can hardly blame him. Uh, A small politician new on stage. You you need the money. Um, I think it shows a willingness to change. In fact, there was another question in the debate that, that really struck me. Um, that I really liked when Maddow hit him with the the stats about the six percent uh, black police officers and twenty six percent population, yeah. you know, black population, and and why couldn't you change that? And he, and he's like, I I just I couldn't get it done. And then he talks about an officer involved shooting. There's still an investigation going on, and and how he couldn't take sides until the investigation was finished. And it just showed the the emotion in his face was real. I know a lot of politicians you watch. Uh, Gabbard is, is especially one that just looks like a robot, even when Mm. she's talking about, you know, the most emotional things like Pete was real in that. I saw the pain in his face. He talked about, uh, you know, his community suffering and it was endearing. Uh, and I thought he, he handled it real well. I mean, who's going to go on stage as almost a no-name politician and go like, I, I just couldn't do it, man. Yeah. (laughs) It's big points. No. Uh, so kind of rounding out mayor Pete, as far as, uh, guns, you know, he's pretty much kind of in step with all of them. Uh, you know, he supports an assault weapons man. Uh, he supports universal background checks. Uh, he's also, he's for national licensing, which there's another candidate that's for national licensing. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, and then when it comes to immigration, um, he would decriminalize the border crossings and uh, would also restructure ICE. Which, and when people say decriminalize border crossings, we're basically talking about removing that zero tolerance policy. Right. Uh, that is that is charging people criminally yeah. uh, for entering the country illegally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, moving on, uh, we will come to Miss Kamala Harris, who is a senator from California. She At least she has been for the last two years. She is uh, probably the biggest beneficiary of the first round of debates. Uh, it was kind of her, you know, big point score against Biden uh, as far as the busing that uh, kind of launched her up a little bit to where she can firmly say uh, that she is in third place. Right, so she's polling for between like 14 and 18% or something. Yeah, something like that. She's definitely in the teens. Um, she is, uh, you know, aside from being a senator, she is a former uh, California attorney general and the DA of San Francisco. Which and, is, of uh, course, why you get cop Kamala. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, Kamala as a cop. Um, there's actually a, a lot of people who are trying to levy a lot of criticisms against her for things that she handled, uh, you know, while she was in that position and they, they kind of run the gamut 
Um, some of them I think are fair. Some of them are, you know, a little weak. I think there's a lot of criticisms that are come her way. Like for instance, there was a guy who was, you know, in prison uh, the Innocence Project did a DNA test, and proved, those are the guys who do DNA tests right. uh, for you know people in in jail. They who they were try to bring put in DNA evidence no DNA right to, so to old so cases. Yeah, and anyway, they were able to prove his innocence, and her office actually argued to keep him in jail. Uh, they were arguing over a technicality in how he filed his paperwork, and so there's various you know things ah. like this that she's able to then turn around and say. Well, that was somebody in my office. If I'd have known they were doing that, you know what I'm saying, I wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Right. This The same kind of criticism uh, happened w- when you talk about uh, what she did with truant parents mm-hmm. uh, in her district. She was she she sent police to arrest parents of truant children um, and caught a bunch of backlash for it. How dare you send the cops after, uh, you know, after these parents and these poor, you know, poor communities and. And and I feel them, but I did listen to her her response to that, and she said, "Well, yes, we arrested the parents, but we did not jail them. We didn't charge them with crimes." Yeah. Um, she looked at that as an opportunity to get people into her office and then connect them with programs uh, that would encourage uh, school attendance. Yeah. So yeah. so that's a little bit different from the main narrative. At the same time, it's a little bit scary, right? Yeah, because yeah. you're talking about a nation where where cops in 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 poor black neighborhoods there's already tension mm-hmm. um and you're going to send you know armed officers to parents <laughs> homes yeah. to drag them out because their kids aren't going to school and like, the idea is so that you can coerce them into i mean you know maybe not coerce but get them to participate in state programs that scares the shit out of me yeah you know it, it I mean? really shows <laughs> a pronounced lack um of judgment I yeah. think. I mean, it really does. It's it's yeah. like that to me. That's the beginnings of of the worst reaches of a police state, right? Yeah. Is yeah. like, it, no, we're not enforcing laws anymore. And I guess truancy is technically a law, but the kid is truant. Not that you know. It's it's a weird gray area. Yeah. It it makes me incredibly nervous if if a politician who is in charge of our country is willing to send the the jackbooted Gestapo <laughs> yeah. up in people's houses because their kids aren't going to school, like. Yeah. The the thing about this, though, is I think that anybody who is formerly a prosecutor or a district attorney or state attorney general that ends up running for president is going to face these kinds of questions. Like, this has kind of been the main line of attack for, you know, opposition to Harris. But in a sense, I don't think it's fair. It comes down like, for instance, there was an issue with the death penalty in California, right, where they were came up, they were discussing whether or not they should abolish it. And she went and defended the state's position that they should maintain the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's her job, right? As the right. She general. is representing the state. Right. She's not representing her personal opinions. And I guess the criticism was that she was opposed to the death penalty, yet she supported it. She says it. that she's opposed to the death penalty, but she went in there and defended it. Now, meanwhile, Prop 8, which was the, the initiative to ban gay marriage in California, she said that uh, when it came time to defend that in court, she wouldn't do it. Because she said she was opposed to gay marriage. So the, the issue is, if if you took a stand for Prop 8, why didn't you take a stand for the death penalty? Well, I'll say, as California Attorney General, you can't, if you make a stand on everything and say, I'm not going to argue the state's case, then you're very quickly not going to be the Attorney General. Right. So, you know, I think it's I think it's a little weird, but I'm not really all that excited about 
Kamala like as a candidate when I jump into her policies. And it's it's kind of disconcerting because I get the impression that she is the anointed in this race. Like, really? I, I do, man. Like from doing especially from doing the research for this episode, I, I can't I can't put my finger on it. I can't quantify it. But what I'm saying is various articles that I read, if I was reading about Mayor Pete, it was Mayor Pete has racial issues back at South Bend. Okay. If I was reading about Bernie, Bernie claims he is a socialist and people don't like socialists. Uh, if I was reading about Biden, Biden is the establishment guy. He touches girls, da, 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 da. Uh -huh. And that's kind of how their criticisms were presented. When Kamala's criticisms were presented, they're like, well, okay. Like, <laughs> so pull, pull you know, up a chair. Okay. Well, let's talk about it for just a second. So let's, I got let's this, crack open the whiskey and for I a got second. this Hang overall on. feeling that like we were kind of treating her with kids gloves. And that's, you know, that's why I kind of wanted to do the criticisms first on Kamala to get it out there. There are questions, you know, about how she went about the truancy policy, how much of that is her responsibility. And I think that we should be fair about them, but we also shouldn't shuck hers to the side while we hammer Pete about what's going on in South Bend. Right. You know? So um, when we jump into her actual policies, man, um, it's kind of hard to nail Kamala down on some things. Well, Green New Deal, she's for, right? Yep. Uh, Medicare for all, she co-sponsored Bernie Sanders' bill. Well, hang on a second. <laughs> all right? Because uh, while she does support Medicare for all, the question of whether or not private insurance has to be eliminated in the event that Medicare for all exists, uh, that's been a little trickier, right? So back in February, she said that uh, in a town hall, she said she would get rid of all that when it comes to private insurance. They come back and they ask her the next day, and she's like, well, well I didn't mean private insurance. I, I kind of misunderstood what was being said, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Then when we did this debate, there was a question of, you know, how many of you would eliminate private insurance? She raised her hand. <laughs> and then the next day said, oh, well, I didn't understand the question. I'm sorry. I would not get rid of private insurance. So... A, you so know, question it, becomes it depends on the moment. Does she even know what she's answering? Yeah, like it, yeah. Is she well informed? And surely she is. So uh, I think the answer is probably you're flip flopping to appeal to voters on both sides of the issue. And and to kind of to back that up, if you look, there is a clip from The View where Meghan McCain was asking her about her immigration oh, policy. Oh boy, what a train wreck, <laughs> dude! <laughs> she was trying to ask her, or she was asking her do you support decriminalizing the border crossings? Like, you know, like we just talked about with Pete and you just like, she's just all over the place. Man. She comes out and she's like, um, no, I would not decriminalize the, I, I hang on, hang on, wait. She actually like puts her hands up and she's like, hang on. She's, she's like, I would, I would decriminalize the border crossings because I think that, you know what Trump's doing. And then she gets on Trump and you, you feel her like get back on page yeah. and she's, and she's doing it for a little bit. And then it comes back to Meghan McCain, and she's like, okay, but just to be clear, you said you would decriminalize the border crossings. And she's like, well, you know, people, I mean, people got to play by the rules. You can't break the laws, but yeah, I would decriminalize border crossings. Well, she says you know, people have to play by the rules, but we can't treat them like criminals. Yeah, we can't treat them like criminals. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like head said. in my hands, like, wait a second. If we're making laws and people have to abide by them, how do you address breaking those laws and rules without treating them like criminals? It's, yeah. it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, she's, you know, so like I say, on some things, she's definitely like, you know, it, it feels like pandering in some respects uh, based on the moment. But, 
you know, I have to admit, in other places, she has clear plans. Uh, she definitely has a tax policy. Uh, it's called the Lift the Middle Class Act. And she would couple that with she has been very adamant about the fact that she would completely get rid of Trump's tax bill. She right. Would go after Gone. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 Lift, the Lift Act, the Middle Class Act, is like a $500 a month credit for families that make under $100,000, I think. There's, yeah, that's there's pretty a huge expansion huge, of the earned man. income credit. And, and yeah. that's, to me, that's right there in line uh, with Yang's UBI, right? There's not much mm-hmm. of a difference between $500 a month as a tax credit and a and $1,000 a month check in your pocket. Yeah. Um, to me, that looks a lot like the beginnings of a UBI. Yeah. Well, she couples it. She also, while it's not based on race or anything like that, it is based on income. It's it's if you are spending more than 30%, if you make under $100,000 a year. And you're spending and you're 30%, spending or more 30% or more of your income on housing. Utilities. Rent and utilities. Okay. Then you get this five hundred dollar uh, credit. Now that's a part of the Lift Act, but the Lift Act itself, just to be clear, vastly expands the earned income credit by itself without that housing. Oh, without that position. housing related. Yeah, yeah. That that housing that housing related language is really weird to me, mm-hmm. um, because to me, people who are making under a hundred thousand dollars that are spending more than thirty percent of their income on housing. And, and utilities, for one, they're fiscally irresponsible. Uh, mm-hmm. For two, they probably all live in, in blue states, in California, in New York, where <laughs> rent is incredibly high. Yeah. Like, I, it doesn't seem based in any sort of, you know, legit reality well, to me. Well, it's I mean, just we're, talking like, about, we're talking about symptoms and root causes. It's like, so what you're telling me is that people can't afford housing because it's so expensive, so we should subsidize them affording expensive housing? Right. So all of a sudden now <laughs> I'm going to go spend extra money. I'm going to go move into a more expensive neighborhood yeah. so the government will give me $500 a month to pay for it. Like, yeah. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, and, I'm, and it's I'm, backwards. I'm okay with the expansion of the earned income. I, I don't know. That was one of those things in prepping for this. I can't tell you the ins and outs of how she wants to expand it, but in theory... I'm generally okay with expanding their earned income a little bit, you know, their earned income credit. Um, but so just just to move through kind of yeah. kind of some of these uh, these other positions, um, she does support uh, officially says she supports decriminalizing border crossings. Uh, she wants DACA, um, you know, she wants uh, Dreamers to to have citizenship, uh, and she wants to reexamine the role of ICE. And ICE is something that comes up with almost every one of these politicians. Yeah. They all uh, have some problem with ice and, yeah. and want to examine it some want to absolutely ice it get rid of it uh you like that yeah no, that was good. That <laughs> some was good. you know some kamala's a little softer here she says she wants to examine the yeah, role and of that's, ice and that's kind of that's actually the popular uh state there's only two candidates i believe it's wayne messer and bill de blasio said that they would abolish ice okay everybody else says they want to seriously re-examine it restructure <laughs> it reimagine it look at their role and so on and so forth uh kamala has actually been uh very strong as far as legalizing marijuana she uh i believe she co-sponsored booker's bill yeah and, uh, and, and love marijuana. it she supports legalizing federally uh, removing it from scheduling. There is this weird thing where she admitted that she smoked a joint and she was asked like what she was doing. And she said, Oh, I was in college listening to Tupac and Snoop Dogg. Uh, when people ran the numbers, Tupac yeah, was, and Snoop Dogg weren't putting out music yeah, when she, she was in college. She was in college in like 85, 86. So either she so. was smoking that real good weed or she still smokes weed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, she has an interesting, uh, take on abortion. I think she, uh, Proposed a plan to require states that restrict abortion access 
to clear new reproductive health laws with the DOJ. So basically what she's saying is, is okay, if you're going to make a law like a heartbeat law or something like that, you're going to have to run it through the DOJ kind of like um, what they got rid of in the Voting Rights Act, where if you were going to make a, a law about voting, you had to clear it with the Department of Justice. Hmm. It's very similar to that. Provision I like oversight usually. Court. I like oversight. Well, here's the thing. You know, we talk about like states and them having the ability to make their own choices and stuff. And I, I can see there being a standard. But, you know, think about it. That DOJ is going to change, you know, as the election shifts. So when Trump's DOJ starts ruling on those laws differently, what have you accomplished? Right. Harris? That's, you know a, what I that's mean? a really like, good so, point. Uh, I think if you move on to guns, of course, uh, you know, as we all know, huge topic with the Democrats. Uh, Harris is roughly in line. Uh, she wants to ban the importation of AR-15 style assault weapons. Uh, she is also, of course, waving around that executive order wand um, yeah. and saying that if Congress does not act in her first hundred days as president, she will executive order uh, you know, some form or fashion gun control laws, which to me, right. you know, Emperor Kamala, get the hell out of here. You're done. Yeah. But uh, it's a theme that that all these candidates uh, have espoused at some point or another. So I kind of feel like you just got to run with it. Yeah, well, it's it's she is the most concrete, though. I mean, saying you have 100 days to pass a law or I'm going to sign these executive orders, that's especially like in regards to guns, like it made me think back to when everybody, like when Obama was being elected and the big fear ran out and people buying guns, Obama's going to take your guns away. Kamala's straight up telling you that within a hundred days in some form or fashion, she's taking assault weapons. So what are you going to do? Well, I think it's interesting because I didn't see anything where she said she would take assault weapons. She wants to ban the importation. So it's a little bit different. There's a little bit of nuance there. Um, you know, not selling new AR-15 style weapons and taking the existing ones are, are two different two different things. Well, hopefully in a future debate, when everybody's standing up there, they're going to ask her, hey, you said something about banning the importation. <laughs> How do you feel about banning assault weapons? And let's see what kind of answer she right. gives that day and the next day. Right. Yeah. I'd like to see her position on confiscation. <laughs> uh, one of the more interesting things that she's uh, doing is she has this this gender equality uh uh, policy that she's she's going for but one of its main initiatives is uh, she proposed an equal pay plan that would require companies to get an equal pay certification that proves they are paying people equally all companies with more than 100 employees that don't have one will face a one percent profit fine for every one percent of wage gap that exists and she wants to use the fines that are collected to help fund a universal family leave act and it's I, that is a that's a really weird pot. You know, I I have questions about the wage gap, right? But in that you know initiative, she was saying we have to do something to combat the systemic uh, sexism of women who take time off to have children not getting promoted and, and stuff like mm. that. So when we talk about the wage gap, a lot of people say the reason that it exists is because if you if you sure there are sexists out there and there are people who are being paid unfairly. Absolutely. But a lot of the reason that a gap exists is because when women, you know, have children and stuff, they're not there working. The men are still working. They take off a year and they gain that much ground on them. So they're going to get promoted faster. They're going to get raises faster, so on and so forth. 
You know what I think kind of fixes that going back to, to you know, disease versus the symptoms? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to allow family leave for fathers and mothers. Uh, yeah. Pops needs to take off a year for new baby as well. Well, and, and, I, and I think, you know, I think we should have that. Leave act. Yeah. And if, and if granted, if enough men choose to take that leave, uh, you know, as many men choose to take that leave as do women, then I think if that's the reason for yeah. the gap, then we'll see that shrink. We'll see it go away. Well, here's, here's my problem though, is establishing this commission to oversee these companies and determine whether or not they're paying people fairly and to take in all these factors at some point, you have to believe because the companies have to show in order to not get fined and get the certification that any pay gap that exists is is because of merit. They have to prove that one hundred percent. At least, at least that's in the in the legislation. So, I mean, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is though, at some point, that's a subjective call, right? It absolutely is. Right. So now these are the now. Yeah. When so, we're talking, so what are you to do? You got a woman who's making twenty six thousand and a dude who's making twenty nine thousand with the same job title. You mm-hmm. got to show metrics. You got to say, well, he was. He was two percent faster, right? You know, he was he was two percent faster responding to emails. Like, and I want to and I want to bring up this point as far as the pay gap is concerned. If you look at single women in like fifty cities across the country, they out earn men. What? Yes, single women who aren't married and don't have children out earn men in fifty of the major metropolitan areas in this country. Huh? Okay. How about so, that wage gap? So so well, here's the thing. If I go into this thinking that there is systemic and all this stuff, when it comes time to prove that very subjective, you know, merit metric, which way am I going to lean? You know, that that's why the outset and the mindset that you have when you go into these policies is so important to me. That's why, you know, like harkening back to what we were talking about with reparations, the mindset can set the tone for how the law is enforced. Right. You know, and from top to bottom. And I, I just think it's something that, that we have to pay attention to. Fair enough. Um, Overall, you know, I, I think that Harris is going to be the one uh, at the end of the day. I really? Do, barring any major gaps, I, I, I think it's going to be Harris. And that, that I don't see tough. how. I mean, all, all of the, you know, the, the cop stuff, I don't think the woke crowd takes that stuff lightly. She, she opposed a bill that would have required her office to investigate police shootings. Um, she went easy on, on law enforcement officials accused of misconduct. Like, I don't think the woke crowd steps to that, man. I I, think I don't think they swallow it. If 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 we're talking about politics, she, in my opinion, has staked out a position between Biden and Bernie better than Pete has hmm. right now. Okay. On top of that, she's a woman. Uh the criticisms about Bernie being, you know, misogynist and staying in the race and costing Hillary, you know, there's a lot of people that are still holding on to that and they are firmly on the Kamala train. Fair enough. And, 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 you know, I think Warren will kind of, she'll get some of that benefit too, but I just see Kamala like poised in that place to be the rec, the one who rectifies the two sides. Yeah. They've got these complaints about the DA thing. And, and I think that a lot of people are going to firmly hold on to him and would rather have a Bernie or a Warren. But I think that she, she is closer to uniting the Biden half and the Bernie half than Warren is to you know, pulling over the Biden hat. You know what I mean? Like, right. I just feel like she's the closest. I think we know watching her fluster Joe Biden like that yeah. was 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 phenomenal. So I, I think if she can fluster Biden like that, she's got a chance at digging at Trump, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something everyone's got to consider moving into this yeah. is obviously, you know, who's strong enough to beat Trump. Uh, if If Kamala flustered Biden like that, I don't think Biden's the one. But I do think she is definitely strong enough to hold her own on stage 
through whatever Trump throws at her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's no question about that. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our next candidate, the senator from Vermont, Bernard Sanders, uh, who also ran in 2016. I don't know if you knew that, but Bernie <laughs> ran in 2016. Oh, this is actually the least favorite part of my show because in, in 2016, I was pretty strongly Sanders. Um, you know, he's he's gotten older since then, uh, but he's still... <laughs> Still pretty much saying the same old stuff that he's been saying for 60 years, which is part of the reason I like him. That he is. Um, I think my biggest problem with Sanders right now is that socialism boogeyman. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's going to be the primary attacking point from the right at the left come election time. And so far from what I've seen through the debate, through Bernie speaking, I don't think he's addressed the problem well. He was asked yeah. point blank during the debates um, you know, the socialism thing, how are you going to deal with it? And he said, well, I pulled 10 points higher than Donald Trump. Uh, but then he went completely off message and start, well, I guess it's on his message, yeah. you know, and started, uh, talking about the 1% and, and how greedy Trump is and how much of a racist he is and stuff. And, and, and I think that's the important question for Bernie. Like, I think he's got plenty of support. He's got the young folks. He's got energy. In fact, he's got an energy, uh, that, that, None of these candidates really have behind him. I think yeah. still chugging from from 2016, um, but I don't think he's putting forward any new arguments um, for that socialism boogeyman. And yeah. like it or like it or hate it, that matters. You know, yeah. on the ground, whatever you think about socialism, yeah, uh, that boogeyman is is a weapon that's going to be swung hard. And if he cannot answer those questions on stage during the Democratic debates, yeah. how's he going to do it on stage against Trump? In in some respects, I mean, he's he's even doubling down on it. And I mean, that's not. I don't know when. Normally, when you say that, it it, it doesn't it doesn't quite convey what I'm trying to say because I would expect Bernie to. I I don't think that Bernie is a bullshitter. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, no. But like for instance, he's the know, least bullshitter of any. He's he's now he's co-sponsored this bill with AOC to cap uh, interest rates on credit companies and stuff like that. Some of these other policies, like if anything, he has pushed harder in that direction than he was in 2016. I think, and I think he feels a freeness to be you know uh, to be able to go for more we'll say socialist flavored things uh, in this election than he did in 2016. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it is an issue for him. I saw in that debate a couple times where he was asked a question about something completely unrelated. Uh, well, at least tangentially unrelated. And he says, you know, well, the rich in this country are driving, you know, and he immediately starts banging on the rich. And I mean, and this time it's like, it's, it's war, it's wore out. It's played out. It bugged me in 2016, but I was a minority then. I think more people were like, yeah, but what else have you got to say, Bernie? Like, I don't, what I don't, else do you have? I think that's I think that's fair, but I don't think the message is necessarily worn out to the populace. I think I mean you look at Trump winning on his populist, you know, drain the swamp platform sounds mm -hmm. a lot, you know, borrowed half of his policies from Bernie, you know, yeah. at least at least the policies he espoused publicly. So I I don't know if the rest of the public is as burnt on that message as you are, but I think you're right. I think they want to hear something else. Yeah. Um, especially yeah. since all of these candidates are starting to sound a lot like Bernie anyway, right, in a lot right, of ways. Right. Although I will say, I like that Bernie distinguishes himself on immigration. Yeah. Right. It, Bernie is actually a little tougher on immigration than, than any of these Democratic candidates. Well, Am I right? He used to be. 
right? So that is the thing. Traditionally, Bernie has been stricter than most progressives. And actually, almost for the same reasons as Trump, a lot of times when, when Bernie would talk about immigration issues, it was about protecting American workers. And it was about, you know, about not having a pool of cheap labor flooding into the country every other right. day, right? Um, however, here recently, um, he said back in April, uh, what we need is comprehensive immigration reform. He said, stumping in Iowa, if you open the borders, my God, there's a lot of poverty in this world and you're going to have people from all over the world. And I don't think that's something that we can do at this point. Can't do it. So that is not my position. And at the debate, they asked all the candidates up on stage if they were cool with providing Medicare for all universal health care to the illegal immigrants. Every single one of them raised their hand, including Bernie. That's true. Bernie's been asked about whether or not he would decriminalize uh, border crossings. He would absolutely decriminalize border crossings. He would absolutely uh, restructure ICE. He's moved to falling in line uh, you know, to me, at least it seems, uh, on immigration with the Democratic Party at large. And I don't understand why that is. I, I don't get it. I Those two policies together are like a poison pill to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like you cannot simultaneously say, yes, we will give illegal immigrants full on health care coverage and we will not prosecute, prosecute illegal border crossings. Yeah. Those two, you incentivize the work, exactly as Bernie said, you incentivize the world's poor to just use us for right. free health care. Imagine if you could drive up into Canada and you can't yeah. and take part in their health care system, get your surgery for your cancer, and then drive back across the border. And the worst thing you're facing is a slap on the wrist. Like no country in the world can stomach that kind of burden. Right. So so to me, <laughs> the Democrats having both of these these policies, you know, pushing them on the American people, I've just I'm just I'm like, who's paying you to say it, or are you possibly that stupid? Yeah. I, I, I honestly, I can't wrap my head around it. So it's really refreshing to hear Bernie say, you know, we, we can't afford this. Right. Um, you know, we can't stomach this burden. But then it, it hurts me to hear him flip flop on it. Now yeah. in the debate, he's got to raise his hand well, and get in line. Like you could, you know, we can we can quit. He has not yet. I looked on his website because I wanted to be sure about this. On his website, he's still calling for, you know, what he did there, comprehensive immigration reform. But that's it. That's all he's got written there. And then everything <laughs> else, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's more than just one sentence. Okay, but, I was going to yeah. say it literally no, says everything comprehensive else, Everything else is reform. just opposition of Trump. You know, it's like we can't do what Trump's doing. Right. You know, we need comprehensive immigration reform. Okay, Bernie, what? Like, you know. If, well, if, and we've if, had if, the opportunity. We've had Democratic majorities and we've had. You, you've had time to pass comprehensive immigration reform. We are at the point with immigration reform where you need to be very clear, right? Because there's this situation that's going down at the border that I don't think anybody is particularly happy with. I mean, it doesn't matter if you want to keep, you know, uh, illegal immigrants out of the country or if you're, you know, for open borders. I don't think anybody wants us to be detaining the the number of people that we're detaining down at the border. No, e so, even the furthest right, I, I think, would prefer to get them out of there. Yeah, so it, it we don't have time anymore for the vague comprehensive immigration reform. Like, I, I know that traditionally like this is the game that we've tried to play right it's like well well you know the democratic party is not for open borders 
but we don't want to, you know, criminalize. Like, basically, we'd like to take all these people who are down there in detention and go ahead and release them into the country, give them universal health care. I would imagine they would also qualify for free college tuition. Sure. I mean, if they qualify for one universal program, why wouldn't they qualify yep. for the other? We want to set up and sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities. And eventually, we will get to the process of locating and finding them and, and pushing them back out of the country if they aren't supposed to be here. But we're not going to do it with ICE, and we're not going to do it mean. Uh, we're just gonna. You, you can't do that anymore. We've got to. We've we got to. We've got to stick to the laws, but we can't treat them like criminals. <laughs> yeah, like. we got. Yeah, no, maybe she's <laughs> nailed it, man. So, um, you know, as far as like Bernie's policy, everybody kind of knows yeah. Bernie's policies. You know, like I said, he added the uh, the credit cap bill. He's he's you know a little bit more. That's kind of the definition of him. This cycle is he's just a little bit more Bernie than he was. In he wants to completely eliminate the one point six trillion dollars of student debt. Yeah, uh, he says he'll pay for it by raising taxes on Wall Street. Yeah, um, you know, public universities, community colleges, trade schools, also tuition free. Uh, I got a big problem with that. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like if if you're giving people uh, you know, a stipend for tuition, then tuition's just going to go up. Yeah. Then all, all the colleges, all the universities, everyone knows exactly how much you got to spend and they're going to eat every penny of it. It's yeah. just how it is. You no longer have any leverage to drive tuition down from a consumer side. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hate it. I don't like, it. I think, I think we should do more to get more people in college, yeah. uh, whether it's grants or this, that, or the other, there's, there's things we can do, but that extreme of a position, uh, I don't really like now. I will say that I think with any of these Democratic candidates, I, I think that we're going to rely on our system to kind of tamp down the most extreme versions. And very much the same way I feel like the Supreme Court has tamped, tamped down some of the worst parts of Trump. Yeah. I think we're going to see the same kind of moderation. So, like, I don't expect if we elect Sanders... Uh, that he's going to immediately get everything he wants, you know, get everything he wants. No, yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen. So, so my point was that while I'm quick to criticize a lot of a lot of these candidates, um, I don't think it should be a big enough fear that you know you don't vote for. Them. No, no, you're right, and that there is a bigger there is a bigger issue. Anytime that you look at, at at a candidate and all their suggestions, you have to bear that in mind, and you also have to say, well. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm going to have to pick somebody or I'm going to have to abstain. You know what I mean? Is it important enough for me to abstain? Is it important enough for me to pick him with knowing that that is a drawback? So that's something that you've always got to decide. But I do think that one of the things that we need to be really aware of, and I think it was something that perhaps we should have been really aware of in 2016, much like the right was up in arms for eight years coming off Obama, like that's, that's how you get Trump. Well, the left is real pissed and and you're right. Like we are going to, there are institutions and things in place that will help tamp down this next president, but they're going to get a lot of what they want. I think just as a rejection of Trump, I mean, mm. it's hard for the GOP if, if let's say they lose all, you know, the majorities of the house and the Senate and it's a big, a, if. and there's a, there is a big if, but I'm just saying, let's say they do. Uh, and there's a democratic president, um, man, like there's going to be a lot of stuff go through really fast. I would agree if as, if, as an outright rejection. If the majorities you know? flip, then then yeah, we are we are looking at <laughs> yeah. possibly the slipperiest of slopes. So yes. it's just I'm just saying like you know take care and let that be one of the many factors when you're choosing who you choose. Now when you choose who you choose, you have one, well you got a ton of more options, but as far as front runners right now, you've got one more. Uh, it's Elizabeth Warren. 
and she is the senator from Massachusetts who has been a senator for the last six years. And she's polling in the teens, kind of like Kamala. She tends to be, or at least was, until very recently, on the lower end of the teens, whereas Kamala's on the upper end of the teens. But then, like I said, I just saw a random poll the other day that had her as the front runner. I don't, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> like that's the first I've seen of that. Well, I'm so. happy because I, I love Warren. We talked a lot about her anti-corruption bill in a previous yep. episode. Tale of two bills. Uh, yep. Tale of two bills. I think you guys should go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, I, that just had me on cloud nine mm-hmm. uh, because I feel like it fixes so many of the problems in America all at once, um, very succinctly, yep. um, you know, very carefully and craftily. Um, and, and I love that. And it's not the only position that I love. Um, you know, she's got a wealth tax, a proposed 2% tax on wealth exceeding 50 million, mm-hmm. uh, 3% tax on wealth above 1 billion. Um, I love that. I think in, in a nation where we are selling off our roads to private companies because we can't afford to maintain them, we're selling bridges. Um, we need the money and, and who's best equipped uh, to to help out the nation, but the people who have gained the most from the benefits of this nation, um, you know, two percent is not huge. Three percent is not huge. We're talking about you know fifty million 50, earners in the fifty million to a billion range. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's not a big deal. To well, me. well, the good news is if if you're going to love her or hate her with Elizabeth Warren, you you should know. Because, my God, the woman has plans. Like, that has been <laughs> the chief characteristic of her campaign so far. She's got all these policies. And, she's the, she's and the wonk. She has, she has come out as a wonk, and, and she's got a policy for just about everything. I think they're doing, that's a, kind of an unofficial campaign slogan, is she's got a plan for that, you know? Um, <laughs> that's a good and, one. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they're certainly there, and that is also what she touched on with the wealth tax, um, another way that she's kind of being characterized is as a less, uh, you know, socialist version of Bernie. There's actually a lot of overlap in between what she would do and what Bernie would do. For instance, she is also for, you know, eliminating the student debt and right. free Which, college tuition. For the same reasons I'm, I'm against it with Bernie. Mm-hmm. I am against that with her, you know, yeah. I, I don't but like it. One of the things I like is, you know, as you, as you noted with the anti-corruption, I think that that you know, as we detailed in that episode is so central to fixing everything else that I love that she even, that she has that, like, that's how comprehensive her plan is. If you go down through her, her platform and stuff, you won't see, uh, necessarily a climate plan, but come to find out she can kind of like mayor Pete did with the Douglas plan. She can pull provisions out of all these other plans that kind of form a climate change. <laughs> She's got plans inside plans. It's like Bible code shit. Russian nesting dolls. Yeah. And and I got to tell you, whether or not I agree with all of them necessarily, I, I like that. I like the fact that she is so straightforward about what she intends to do and where she stands, you know? Right. Medicare for all. She caught some criticism uh, for being a little bit vague about how to achieve it. She did co-sponsor Sanders' bill. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of cool, but she said she's open to different paths to get there. And, you know, sometimes I would see that as a cop out, Yeah. but I also see it as kind of a willingness to be flexible. Yeah. Right. You could, you could take it as she's willing to talk about mayor Pete's plan. Right. You know what I mean? She's open to different paths. I I like that. And I like Warren and it's hard for me to criticize her, but. (laughs) 
It's coming. Yeah. <laughs> because because one of the things that that has really bugged me about Warren is that she's typically been kind of a moderate when it comes to like wokeness, right? Like she's asked about about if she's a, a socialist and she goes, "No, I'm I'm a capitalist. I just think we need to rein it in." Mm-hmm. Um so there have been parts of of her plans that have been, you know, getting into that super woke territory where all of a sudden you're using that uh, that coded language of uh, oppression and hierarchies yeah, yeah. and stuff. And and that bugs me, but again, man, you know, you're going to you're going to take some blows. We got to make some compromises. I'm yeah. not terribly afraid of it. Well, again, it's 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 the question of the nature of this election, right? So whoever ultimately the Democrats put up is going to be there standing next to Donald Trump and and those are your choices. And you have to choose between that. So you, sometimes you look at things uh, that would upset you with other candidates and you kind of give them a pass. Mm. I, As far as her characterizing herself as a democratic capitalist, because that was kind of the, the quote, is that <laughs> she's not a democratic socialist, she's a democratic capitalist. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit. All really? Right? Yeah, no, I'm calling bullshit, man. When you... When you look at the aggregate of her policies, there is every every amount of in the world of overlap with Bernie. And then you get things like the Accountable Capitalism Act, which would require major corporations to get U.S. charters that would, among other things, require 40% of the board to be elected by employees. That is the first step of seizing the means of production. But not that by the is, government, by that, people. That's no, not. Did you miss the U.S. charter? What do you mean? I mean, you have to have a charter ratified by the United States government to participate in business. And one so, of the you'd, so you'd have is, you'd have some government board that was like saying yes or no. That, I mean, that gets to ratify your charter or not. And then on top of that, one of the requirements is is that forty percent of the employees, or I'm sorry, the employees get to dictate forty percent of the board of directors. I love that. I know you love that, but let's call it what it is. You know what I'm saying? That's early stages of socialism. Mm. And so here's the, do I think it's a big deal? Does she do enough, you know, lip service to capitalism in other regards? That's fine. My point here is, is let's be honest, it's branding. Well, she sure does do lip service to capitalism when it comes to taking corporate money, right? I mean, mean, she's taking, she's taking PAC money, right? She's, she's one of the candidates that has not said, oh, only individual donations. That's, That's true. And on, you know, when you, universal healthcare, Universal child care, universal, uh, you name it. She's That's boring. true. You're, you're right. You're, you know what I mean? Right. So, when, you, when you look at health care, when you look at child care, when you look at college, when you look at across the board, it's very now, much socialization me, of. Now, let me tell you something that might surprise you. When I look at this, when I look at all of these as a whole, and we're going to keep talking about Warren, but I want to take a moment to pause for a second to kind of get this point across. Me, if I had to vote tomorrow uh, between one of these five. And Trump, I hope it's Warren or or Buttigieg. I'll settle for Buttigieg. I'd take Buttigieg. But I would actually, I would actually hope that it's Warren. And I'm saying that while I'm at the same time telling you that I think that she's a democratic socialist. That's just me saying, let's be honest about it. I know what you're trying to do, but but no, you know what I mean. Um, but I don't think that you can take something like that and disqualify a candidate from it. You know, it's just the way she's branding herself, and that's fine. There are times when it gets to be too much. I am a little concerned with Pete because I feel like he's hiding it a little bit more. Mm. But she's not really hiding it. I can look at all her plans and she can tell me that she's all for capitalism, all she wants to and stuff. And I can look at her plans and be like, 
Eh, no, you're not, but that's okay. I know what you want to do. It's not like she's trying to hide anything. That's else funny that you're willing to give Warren a pass on a little bit of uh, a little bit of dishonesty on the front end. Because like, we're very clear about what we want to do. That's true. That, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's offset. And and when we're talking about an election against Trump, I at some point for me, I'm going to have to find a place to compromise. <laughs> and at least she's telling me exactly how she's going to screw me. So no, but anyway, you know what I mean? Well, you're not in the 1%. You're not getting <laughs> yeah. screwed. Let's be well, honest. But anyway, my go against my ideology. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, as far as, you know, some of her other ideas, she's talking about breaking up Google and Facebook and Amazon. I love, I love that. She wants to prohibit companies with over 25 billion in revenue uh, from acting as operators and users of a platform at the same time. And she wants to ins install regulators to break up uh, some already closed mergers. And I feel like we are at a point where we are long overdue for some major trust busting. We've got these giant platforms that we really don't know how to deal with as a society. And she's got a plan for it. No, she absolutely does. And one of the other things that I like about her platform is she, you know, she has a way to pay for it. Um, now, there's other candidates that that also have a tax plan. Kamala has a tax plan. But one of the things that I notice is when I, you know, look at Biden and Buttigieg and Bernie to an extent, even though Bernie does have strong views on taxes, we're going to create this. We're going to enact this. We're going to fund this. I'm going to divest, you know, invest in that. But they don't really have like the nuts and bolts worked out for, you know, how exactly they're going to fund it. Well, she kind of covers the whole spectrum. She's got a proposed 7% tax on companies' profits over $100 million. Uh, you put that together with the wealth tax. Uh, if you remember back from the Anti-Corruption Act, that had fines in it that would then be poured back into the department that it wanted to create right, in that self bill. Self-funding. So she's kind of, she's taken all three steps. Now, you know, I'm a quibble with numbers here and there, but she at least is trying to balance the book as she does these things. Right. You know to, to me, that, that takes, that takes you from a point of, of just spewing platitudes right. to a well thought out and formulated position with, with building blocks and groundwork. It really, it elevates Warren above the pack across the board to me. Yeah. I would say one of my chief criticisms of Warren right now, like one of the things that, that upsets me is so she's got this universal child care act that she wants to pass. And basically it would, uh, it would guarantee universal, uh, it would guarantee child care for families, uh, low income families. And it would also guarantee assistance with child care for, you know, families making above a certain threshold. Now she's, she's cast herself as the policy wonk in this field of candidates and everything. But when you get into that universal child care act, which I believe would cost something like $700 billion, one of the things that she does is she plays a little shell game that I've seen Bernie do before where she takes these studies that say how these things are going to pay for themselves and she is a little disingenuous, dishonest with how she presents it. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, with the child care study, she took uh, – or the child care act, she took a study that showed all the benefits – that, you know, we would get from having universal child care, plus like kind of the, the ancillary and secondary ways that it would impact the economy and factored that into the amount of money that it would raise to help pay for itself. But then when it came time to pull a study that looked at the negative impacts of investing that much money in child care and what might happen, she only looked at just the cold-blooded 
these would be the negative impacts. They're very small, I promise you. Right. So she left out all those ancillary economic impacts in, yeah. in the negative, but added them in in the positive. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting position because, you know, you were talking about you thought it was interesting that I would forgive her on that thing. Well, here's something that I might be inclined to forgive Kamala on that I'm not inclined to forgive her on because I know she knows. Right, because Kamala's not the, she's not the wonk. She's yeah, not the exactly. one for that. And, 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 it's, and it's not just that that stereotype either because, you know, come to find out the people who did those studies that kind of dishonestly look at things that way, issues have been raised and it's been ongoing for a few years. People have pointed to that study and said it's bullshit and she stood behind it this entire time. You know what I mean? So she knows there's problems. Right. That's a little weird. Why would she stick to that? I don't understand. <laughs> well, like, because how else are you going to, I mean, for one, we're talking about universal child care. I mean, you're, you're trying to get people to accept the fact that we should do universal health care. Now you're going to tack onto that, that the state should help you with child care. Yeah. Which it's isn't, a little ludicrous. Which isn't socialist I mean, at all. But anyway. No, no you're the, right. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep piling them on there. I mean, you're right. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like it, it to get that across She's, uh, in my opinion, okay with bending the numbers. I mean, that's. I think it's just dishonest. Mm. You know, fair enough. I I have to say she she supports universal background checks like they all do, an assault yeah. weapons ban, and a national gun license. You know, these are all things that that I'm going to have to compromise on. Yeah. Um. But I will say something that's kind of notably absent, um, from Warren's speeches is talk about executive action. Yeah. She is one of the only candidates that really shines through as someone who's not waving that executive magic wand. Yeah. She wants to do the things she wants to do through legislation. And I'm sure she understands how hard of a road that is, yeah. but it's one she's willing to walk. Right. And, and I like that. And I, if, if, I, if, if the American people, um, by all means support universal background checks and assault weapons bans, then, I, then I'll get in line. Right. Um, and I think with Warren, we've got a chance of her respecting the boundaries of, of the American people's wishes. Yeah. Um, and primarily because she doesn't talk about executive action over and over and over. Well, you know, another thing that's kind of in line with that, that I thought was fantastic was her abortion plan actually calls, she's one of the only candidates as best I can tell that is actually calling for Congress to pass a law that enshrines Roe versus Wade. Nice. Now I have some other issues with the, you know, the rest of that plan or whatever, but that right there is a big step towards yes i know there's going to be people who oppose it but if congress passes the damn law it is what it is right closed case that is the correct way to go about it thank you miss warren you yes. know what i mean yes now on the, on the other hand i'm i'm kind of doing this positive and negative thing <laughs> uh she's got uh this thing that's called the economic patriotism plan and it's it's kind of a weird name again in the face of a rising nationalist movement. Well, <laughs> it's actually it's funny you should mention that because that's kind of the point. She's trying to take Trump's one of Trump's biggest. She's trying to cut his legs out from under. So she's trying to take what Trump offered the GOP base, and in her you know estimation, do it the proper way. She's trying to uh, invest in American industry return American manufacturing jobs to the country, but by making us a leader in uh, green technologies and other technologies. And, and the idea is she's going to protect American industry to an extent right now, not necessarily through tariffs, but through protectionist policies in order to grow it for the future. So she thinks there is a problem 
with our export import balance. Mm -hmm. And what she wants to do is ask the fed to help, um, help us eliminate that export gap and focus on our exports and build up that industry. So that in the future we'll have a strong, well, here's the thing, man, the, the, the root, uh, the poison pill at the base of that idea is still the poison pill at the base of that idea. Like, I like the idea that she wants to invest in American businesses. I don't like the idea that it would require the United States government to only do business with American companies. Right, to withdraw because, from, the, from the global market. Because what you've done is you've insulated them, and you've also guaranteed them income. So while you're throwing money at them, they still don't have to compete necessarily. Right. With the rest of the right. world. So they meanwhile, the, the rest of the world is, is making improvements and advancements, and we don't need to because we've got these guaranteed <laughs> channels. Right. And I see that uh, in some respects is the exact same things that went wrong with the American auto industry. Mm. Right. When you insulate them from all that, then, you, you know, what are you what are you really accomplishing? Right. Is, so 20 years later, Japan comes in with with Toyotas and eats your right. cookies. Because even even Warren will, you know, acquiesce to the fact that it will cause higher prices in the short term. And she's saying we will take the hit on higher prices in the short term to have a thriving industry in the long term. Mm. I hope that works out for you. But I'm just telling you that traditionally making those moves, you're going to give us higher prices in the short term in a shitty industry at the end of the road. Right. You know what I mean? So that, that gives me pause. But that's, again, man, like, so that's the story of this election and the story of Warren. If I... If I had my druthers, would I be voting for Elizabeth Warren? No, man, absolutely not. <laughs> but Trump is 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 a a vital enough existential threat, I think, that I have to vote for one of the two candidates. And if I had to pick from what I've seen, like I said, Warren and Buttigieg are leaders in the clubhouse. If Buttigieg gives me more details, he will vault to the top. Yeah, you know what I'm I, I gotta say, but, like after after the debates, I assumed that I would that I would come out in favor of Bernie, in favor of Warren. Uh, but Buttigieg was like this dark horse that really grew on me. The more I read into him, the more I liked him, and I I wouldn't I don't have a single qualm about voting Buttigieg tomorrow. Yeah, like I really I really hope he makes the next debates. I hope I hope we get him in there. And if it's between Buttigieg and Warren, you know, leading for the primaries, like either one coin flip, I'm okay with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I really, the only candidates I'm really, um, really not okay with are, are Biden and, and Kamala. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think their weaknesses are just too, are too much. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think the country can, can withstand, uh, you know, Kamala who, who wants to use the the forces of of the American police, you know, to yeah. to to enforce her will? Like, I, I don't think so. And Biden, I don't want a old kitty toucher and we, in mean, the office. I just well, don't. And man. on top of that, we just can't keep doing what we've been. Trump doing. saying like, grab him by the pussy was enough for him to be DQ'd. As far as I should have been enough for him to be DQ'd. As far as I'm concerned. And and Biden groping little girls and smelling hair is is the same to me. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm not going to compromise on that. I, you know, one of the things I think it's like it's really unfair uh, in a sense. But like I said, right now Warren would have the edge with me. But like, I I kind of want to keep her in the Senate. Like I kind of I kind of want, and and I know that's that's kind of unfair. But you also have to no look no at no. It. It's a fair argument. Like because it, once she's president, presidents don't go back to become senators. Right. Like John Quincy Adams. 
uh, God bless him, all the way back in the early part of the 19th century was president and then was in the House of Representatives for forever. But that's it. Yeah. And so we get eight years of her and then that's it. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Warren's best pieces of legislation are being ignored in the Senate anyway. Right. So to me, that argument falls a little flat. Like, I feel like Warren's big ideas um, don't have a chance among the current climate. Okay, let me ask you this. If she's launched into the seat, uh, you know, the presidential seat, then she's got leverage now to make people pay attention. Uh, To what? I mean, let me ask you this. Do you think Warren's plans, if she were president today, would have any, I mean, would have any more chance of getting passed Sure. Than they would. I, I think I think they'd have more chance. I mean, I don't, I don't think, think it's huge. No, I think they would become the ACA. Mm. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what I think would happen. You think is, so? You'd I just... think she would she would uh, compromise down and and ramrod through. Well, she couldn't even ramrod it through. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what what level of compromise on the Anti Corruption Act would President Warren? have to go to to get Mitch McConnell to vote on. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So it's kind yeah. of a moot question. I mean, either way, she's going to have to have Congress. Um, the, now, is she more likely to get it through as president than senator with a Democratic Congress? Yes. But I think that if we throw, you know, like in the event that there's a Democratic Congress uh, and a Democratic president and she's still a senator, I mean, I think we can help push along Elizabeth Warren's plans. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, fair enough. So, so I, it's, it, it's well, weird. I think the American people coming behind behind her adds weight by default, right? I mean, yeah. if the American people stand up and vote for her and it's say... It's the mandate. Yeah. We, right, it's the mandate of the people, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So S- uh, Speaking of mandates for the people, you know who we do not have a mandate from? Who's that? That would be our fact checker extraordinaire, Beanzo. Yeah, he's totally contravening law by taking the position that he did. I'm telling you, I don't remember voting on this, anything. He hey, he's got there. a signed contract, I'm just saying. Yeah. So now's the drunk. portion of the episode where uh, Beans is going to tear us apart and tell us all the ways we messed up. Uh, Beans, what you got for us today? Buddies, if you're like me, you came away from the <clears throat> theory, MSNBC, Univision, Democratic Debates. With one burning question, what could be worse than four hours of 10 people on stage talking over each other? If you're really like me and were contractually obligated to stay awake for the last two hours, you now know that Sense and Theory have done us all a great service and unequivocally laid that debate to rest. Thanks, fellas. I guess. Let's see. uh, Damn, what a mess. Uh, Biden isn't the oldest candidate. It's Bernie. 24 candidates in a field full of newcomers, and you two screw up on the two guys that have been in the mix for over 30 years. Yeah, um, Gabbard didn't zing Biden. Harris did. Easily the defining and most talked about moment on both nights. So, of course you botch it. Let's see, who could be in favor of mass incarceration? Gee, I don't know, fellas. The private prison industry, maybe? I feel like I'm just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. What else is in my notes here? Uh, Yeah, here's where I just tuned out and started making my grocery list. That was right after that hysterical ice pun sense. Funny stuff. (sighs) Out of hell with the notes. I'll just wing the rest. The bank bailout was a zero interest loan. No candidate includes Ivy League colleges in their free tuition plan. 
And if Kamala Harris's office failing to prosecute the bank Steve Mnuchin ran for what her prosecutors called thousands of foreclosure law violations, if that doesn't make the cut, then why the hell are we here? But yeah, killer puns since. Fellas, back to you. Thank you, Beanzo. You are a certifiable moron. Uh, anyway, folks, coming into the show, I was honestly a little bit worried that we were going to appear like those enlightened centrists who just crap all over everything for the sake of being contrarian. Crap uh, all over everything. Huh? <laughs> because honestly, I have some qualms with the Democratic Party as a whole. Um, but I have to say, after we got everything on page, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, oh, I were was. You, were you blown away? <laughs> I was blown away. Um, and I came out of this exercise with a lot more hope than I did coming into it. Oh, you've got you've got hope over there. And let and me, I hope that you guys let me tell you what I feel got the same way. I've what I've got over here is a nose full of your falafel farts from the last three hours. <laughs> And there's no hope over here, buddy, because I don't think anyone has a plan for that. It has been awful. My eyes are stinging. There's no candidate that can save me from this. Hey, I got to say, Taylor Swift's been getting a little political lately. Maybe she should have been up there on the debate stage. Where's my gun? Hello, folks. This is Theory, one-third of the Sense and Theory podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did making it, but I want to take a moment to remind you that the discussion doesn't end here. Pop on over to senseandtheorypodcast.com where you'll find all the necessary links to tell us how brilliant and or stupid we are on social media. If you like what we're doing here and want to help us with the crippling cost of all the writers in Beanzo's contract, check out our page at patreon.com slash senseandtheory. If you can't chip in financially but still want to show your support, you can always rate and review us on iTunes or just tell your friends and family about us. Either way, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.